This episode could contain profanity. It's up to me, I guess. Your Saturday could contain a gist newsletter. To sign up for it, our once-a-week newsletter, go to slate.com slash gist news. It's Thursday, August 8th, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I am heading to the Iowa State Fair tomorrow. I'm just a huge fan of butter sculptures. Don't know who else. If anyone else is going to be there, I just go for the butter sculptures. They often have a cow butter sculpture, but they're this year having a special different butter sculpture. It's a John Hickenlooper butter sculpture. I'm excited. No, no, seriously, though I will be chatting with him and other candidates. Ah, yes, talking it up to the Hick, the Loop, to the H, to the I, to the C, to the K, to the double O, pooper. But I'm really interested in talking to Montana Governor Steve Bullock. His strongest argument for electing him president is one that used to be quite strong in presidential politics and has since declined as a strong argument. It's the very fact that he is a governor. We used to love electing governors. They had executive experience. They actually have to run things, not just give what Kamala Harris calls fancy speeches. Remember she said that in the debate with Tulsi? I can't just give fancy speeches. I guess those are speeches where all the R's are trilled. I rise today in support of an elixir composed of rhubarb and sarsaparilla. But Steve Bullock is from Montana, a Trump state, and a state that I've got to say, since he's been running for president, has gone a little berserk. Montana news item the first. A judge in Montana sentenced a former chemist at the water treatment plant in Billings after she pleaded guilty to a felony charge of tampering with public records. The subject of the tampering was her co-worker, another chemist who she, the guilty chemist, Michelle Henderson, thought was getting preferential treatment in the office. So the victimized chemist, whose name was Katie Hendrickson, got gaslit. Hendrickson said, according to the Billings Gazette, that it seemed like the more she worked to resolve the problem that her water samples were coming up contaminated, the more she worked, the worse the contamination got. Quote, it was kind of the scenario of everything that I just touched was contaminated and would not work, she said. Hendrickson repeatedly checked her equipment, retested samples, and requested oversight from her supervisor to ensure she was doing the test correctly. So why did Michelle Henderson do it? In a phrase, she's just too diligent. Here's her explanation. Quote, I have a very good work ethic, and when I go to work, I work. I don't sit around and talk. I don't buddy-buddy. I work. Well, You didn't buddy-buddy, but you did buddy-buddy sabotage, buddy. She was literally, by the way, if you really examine the statement about how she goes to work, she was literally using the, if working too hard is a crime, I guess I'm guilty defense, which isn't a defense. It's an admission of guilt. And she did admit guilt to tampering with equipment and falsifying records. The Billing Gazette also reports that Henderson will have to notify state licensing boards of her conviction when applying to renew her professional license. It's odd that they would simply not be obliged to notify her, yeah, you failed. And if she wants a retest, maybe, hey, guess who's administering those? It's your old work buddy, Katie Hendrickson. So the the guilty chemist, the water unpurifier, Michelle Henderson, added 
that her hatred of her co-worker twisted her. Quote, my mind couldn't cope. I worked in a toxic environment. You know what? Let's get a third party to test for that, shall we? In other madcap Montana news, Kurt Brockway has been charged with assault of a minor for slamming a child to the ground during the national anthem at a rodeo at the Mineral County Fairgrounds. Witnesses tell MTM News that Brockway picked up and slammed the 13-year-old boy on the ground because he didn't remove his hat during the national anthem. Brockway, who lives in Superior, Montana, and I hate to meet a resident of Inferior, Montana, is on a registry of violent offenders stemming from a 2011 conviction for assault with a weapon, state records show. Eh, is that really the best explanation or is it just that the dude really loves America more than you and me? The boy, the poor boy, was bleeding from the ears. He will recover. He was flown out of state, by the way. Now, in this one article I read about it on NBC Montana, here was the context it gave. National Anthem Protocol has been an ongoing issue since former San Francisco 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick took a knee during NFL games. Wait, how? how why is that relevant? Colin Kaepernick did not invent anthem angst. How's that the proper context? The boy was literally, by the way, wearing a red hat, and red hats have become a trigger to some. It causes other people and people who wear them to act rudely. Maybe that's what we need to know. But no, Brockway's lawyer thinks this is what we need to know, that Brockway is an army veteran and his military service, quote, this is according to the lawyer, quote, has been central to his identity since suffering an injury to his frontal lobe, which controls cognitive functions like judgment and problem solving. Lawyer went on to say that Brockway was no longer thinking for himself, but responding to a presidential order. Oh, so a little pseudo neuroscience plus the presidential blame game and voila, he's not an asshole who slammed a boy to the ground over a rodeo beef. Mm, delicious rodeo beef. No, he's a damaged veteran. This was a cry for help and it's Trump's fault. Don't you know, lawyer for Brockway, this is not how you get yourself a presidential pardon. You have to kiss ass to the president after you kick ass to a poor innocent person. Bad news, Montana. Daddy Steve Bullock will be in Iowa this weekend. On the show today, I spiel about presidential distraction tactics. But first, Joshua Cohen is here. He is a very smart guy, a very good writer. He's almost too smart. It's like a David Foster Wallace, but instead of footnotes, it's a Talmudic reading of ancient texts. Cohen has authored several books, fiction books, but he's out with a nonfiction collection. He's from Atlantic City. He's been on to Trump's hustle for years. That essay is in there. He profiled Bernie in a way that I would call truly insightful. He understands the man, plus a little bit about the circus. Josh Cohen is here for his new book, Attention, which must be paid. So I do have this book on attention deficit, and I'm about a third of the way in, and I'm pretty sure I'm never going to finish, which is not a terrible Mitch Hedberg joke. It's actually true, and I had this idea that if we collected all the last chapters on all the ADHD books, they might be codes to the Russians, if that's still a thing that's going on. I was thinking about this because I had been reading this new book called Attention. It might be called Attention, 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 Attention. Hard to know, but it's by Joshua Cohen, who is this vibrant novelist and great essayist and a the last, I don't know, quarter 
cover the book is this long, let's call it a long treatise on attention, but it's also a collection of a bunch of his essays. Joshua, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Dispatches from a Land of Distraction. So let's do this. Let's start off with a couple of tangible things and get to the more ethereal. Let's start off with Bernie Sanders because you reported on him at Town Hall. The last time he was around, he's back again. What were your major insights about why people were connecting to Bernie? Oh, I mean, they connected to him because he was honest, because he is honest, and and, and because he, you know, um, has the perfectly manufactured, non-manufactured quality. Right. And uh, I think it's also an aspect of the generation war that people try not to talk about. They try to sublimate the concept of generation war under class concerns or identitarian concerns, but really, you know, kids always get along better with their grandparents than with their parents. And so, you know, the kids and, and Zeta Bernie were going to kill the parents together. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I mean, there was that aspect of it. I do think that um, there is also some messaging, uh, not just consistency, but, but when you really do confine yourself to possibly three subjects. Yeah. You know, and you repeat it ad nauseum yeah. for, for decades. Yeah. People tend to... To, to, to pick it up. And ascribe authenticity to you. I mean, w- when I went to uh, follow Bernie around, it was difficult because if you look at all of the profiles of Bernie and all the people who've really kind of given thought to him, you know, he gives the same quotes yeah. to everyone. Yeah. And, and he is exactly the same on the stump as he is sitting, you know, eating a tuna fish sandwich, getting some tuna on his shirt. And I said to myself, you know, there has to be more there. Right. And you, you poke and you poke and it's just it's just more banking reform. And there was a point at which I was scared because if it's banking reform all the way down, like, you know, it's turtles all the way down. Yeah. I don't necessarily understand the roots of his um, justice. Do you think I on my show was talking about the different septuagenarians and how some seem to have slipped? Mueller has slipped. Biden has slipped. Elizabeth Warren hasn't. Trump didn't start from a great basis point, but he seemed yeah. to have slipped. I don't think cognitively Bernie, I, you know, on the show, I played clips of him as the mayor of Burlington. Clips of him in the last debate seemed like the same guy. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something easier about it when all you're doing is hitting those angry talking points? Like if Joe Biden... Mm-hmm. Maybe he just has slipped and I'm overthinking it, but if what he's trying to do is communicate some version of policy wrapped up in humanity, it's a bigger lift than what Bernie is doing to convince us that he's the same guy he's always been. I mean, I, I have a very difficult time with this, and, and I hope that you, you take this with like the respect I, I really do mean. It's just I don't think you can judge someone's intelligence based on when they talk. Right. And I think that this is a performance when you're up on stage. When you say you slipped, you know, I, I became a writer because I'm not a great talker. Right. And I slip constantly. And I think that that you have to judge these people based on, um, you know, on their records. And to a degree, maybe this is my bias on what they write. Bernie is a horribly boring writer. Yeah, he is. I mean, he is one of the most bone dry, just cardboard writers that I've ever read. And uh, with the exception of his kind of like weird 60s period that he tries Where to, he tried write, to do a little porn, <laughs> a little porn, a little porn. And Wait, you thought his porn was better or at least different from the hey, rest of the oeuvre. Hey, man, it, it had it had a little it had a little beat in it. I don't know. But the slipping thing, I, I, I'm not really sure of. I, I always hesitate to speculate. But I do think that there is a speed that comes with youth that just plays better. And so, you know, when this last debate went and Booker's, you know, scoring all these points on Biden, they are the points of a faster man. Yes. They're not necessarily the points of a wiser person. No. But 
he has he showed that that linguistic facility. Sure. And that's maybe an indication of something. I mean, if it's linguistic facility, then black thought should be president. Yeah. Right. Well, linguistic facility and sure. drumming ability. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um so from Atlantic City, did you assess uh, Trump to be more than just your uh, garden variety uh, showman huckster in mm-hmm. the Steve Wynn mold, in the mold of uh, any of these other guys who's open casinos and want to draw crowds? I mean, Wynn is actually a brilliant man. Yeah. I mean, a, a blind billionaire, you know? I mean, he's- Who has a great art collection. He's great. Right. <laughs> um, right. I, uh, and beautiful wives. Um, I don't, look, my, my, my idea of Trump was deeply colored by my parents. Uh, specifically, my father, uh, who'd spent a lot of time suing Trump casinos. Uh, I grew up in Atlantic City, grew up on Obsequian Island, the island of you know, four cities, Longport, uh, Ventnor, Margate, uh, in Atlantic City. And uh, and it's really, it's an island of 25,000, 30,000 people during the winter, uh, during the off-season. And so everyone has a Trump story. And he was always known as uh, as a dirtbag and, and, and as a loser. Yeah. Right? And as someone who, uh, you know, all of those articles where, you know, the New York Times thought that they, you know, unearthed, you know, some, some major news when, like, they, when he stiffs, like, a, you know, Pens- uh, Pennsylvania cabinet maker. Right. Who's, like, building all the carpeting right. contractors. Right. I mean, this, this was... Th- th- this was daily stuff in Atlantic City for, for, for a decade. But my my sense really of him as a um, as a, a, a force was to contrast that sense of him with when the country met him through The Apprentice, mm-hmm. right? Because um, suddenly he was this person who was trading on all of these almost kind of faux organized crime bona fides, right? The Don kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. right? And the and, boardroom and, and the, you're fired is essentially you're right, whacked. Yeah. Right, right. And, 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 and you get taken for a ride after being fired. Yeah. <laughs> totally. But, 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 but it always surprised me that, um, that the rest of the country didn't see the joke. Yeah. Right? But I don't you think a lot of them and this isn't like post hoc motivated motivated reasoning a lot of people essentially told themselves well we do see the joke we do see that we're in on the joke along with him like people tell themselves when they watch reality tv and they say mm-hmm. we know it's not all real and so they're saying of trump okay he's not going to build the wall but he's mm-hmm. doing things that signal to me that he's really serious about it mm-hmm. and just this a sort of we're in on it we're in on the joke with him and that allowed themselves that allowed him to get a lot more support. Right. I mean, it would be an amazing joke if the joke was actually, you know, I'm an outer borough kid who's going to stick it to the establishment. Right. Right. I mean, I I would like to be part of that joke as well. Right. Um, That wasn't the joke. I don't think that the joke that people thought they were in on was I'm going to run the country to enrich my family. I mean, while stoking race war. Yeah. By the way, that verb "run the country" that's a little loose. Well, right. Okay. Right. I mean, but 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 it's go it, to occupy it, this office. Yes. It was. You know, there was a sense of uh, of Trump early on when you began seeing him after the Taj, so like you know, in ninety six, ninety seven, where he was, you know, making overtures to Park Avenue, New York. And getting rebuffed, yeah. right? Where he was essentially saying, you know, I don't need you swells, right? And uh, and I'm going to sort of double down on this um, on this John Gotti image. And at that point, I think that Trump had some deep class animus that was phenomenally useful in the hot house that is New York, right? Once you transpose that to the country, that sort of wedge identity doesn't get anything done. 
right? Um, the the idea that he was someone who was clawing in just so he could get invited to an Anna Wintour party, yeah. okay? Like, you know, I would support anyone who wants to go to a shitty party like that and, like, drink on a roof, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't the joke. That You know, if, if that was his goal, I think we all would have pitched in mm-hmm. because life would have been a lot better if he could have gotten that. Yeah. If he had just been a little bit more accepted. Yeah. Hugged right. by his dad, you know? Right, right. Right. The whole thing about going back, kill baby Hitler, go back and just love baby Trump. Right. Or <laughs> or, or go back and invite him to the Hamptons in 1992. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote about the last days of Ringling Brothers Circus. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. about that fit in with the, either fascinated you or fit in with your uh, theory about the state of the world? Well, I mean, the circus is 145 years old. Yeah. It was the last major traveling circus in the world. And I was interested in this figure of P.T. Barnum, really, and the Barnum and Trump comparisons. One of the things that I think is germane to the discussion we're having is, you know, the question of uh, how did the people who came to see Barnum's museum, for example, in New York, how did they view sort of the wonders and freaks on display there? And, um, you know, were they... uh, um, totally ignorant and they thought that this was in fact a, a mermaid you know or that Joyce Heth was a, a the, the slave who had raised George Washington who was over 110 years old or were they really just going to see the sophistication of the performance they were going to kind of see the early special effects right right yeah they viewed it like people viewed Star Wars right in the right. cantina scene right. and the explosion. exactly yeah. right and and I was kind of interested in in this because P.T. Barnum began as a con man and uh, and ended as a true believer. Um, he ended his a, a life uh, as, as a politician who it was, you know, campaigning for the regulation of alcohol. Yeah. You know, um, was... Progressive um, within Connecticut politics at the time. Totally. I think. Right, yeah. right. And and I think that, uh, uh, you know, the king of Bridgeport, see, like, to remind people. <laughs> but I, I think that, that um, the circus was uh, at least has this iconography that's deeply American, right? You have the kind of Uncle Sam yeah. character on the side. I mean, it's it yeah. this deep American kind of feel. And the truth is, is that the circus, at least at the time of his closing, was almost 80% immigrants. That's a great point. It seems like shutting down the circus got conflated with this achievement, this anti-animal abuse achievement. Yep. But we really, it's almost like, it's almost like canceling jazz because <laughs> of heroin or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Like we threw right. away this great American yeah. or Americanized art form. Sure. Well, I mean, one of the interesting arguments about the circus is that the circus really, first of all, the circus and politics are deeply entwined because they, um, all of these words you have, the, the, you know, the, the, the tent, your grandstanding, yeah. right, your platform, these are all circus words. And uh, uh, they is both- Throw your hat in the ring? Throw your hat in the ring, Woodrow Wilson, right. Yeah, yeah. And they, because the, the, the circus followed the train tracks just- just yeah. like politicians did. The interesting thing about the development of the circus, however, was that it didn't just die in the way that some people could argue, you know, that that you know that jazz died as, you know, as a popular medium. Mm-hmm. It 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 was completely absorbed by other forms. So, you know, you wouldn't have movie stunts if the people, if they weren't developed in the circus. You know who trained animals to do that stuff? Circus people. Right. All of these illusions that were later adapted for, 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 for the screen were really came from the circus. So it was something that was kind of scooped out and exported abroad. It's funny. Uh, it's a little like Trump in this way. First of all, I just have this belief, like when they 
when when Wonder Bread and Hostess went away, I said, they'll be back. They're just, as intellectual property, right. they'll be back. I still do not believe that Ringling Brothers is gone forever. Although, it's a lot harder to resurrect that as a brand. You have to have, you know, all these Latvian tumblers to join up. I mean, it's not just, I mean, it, it's, it's, if you want to talk about authenticity, I mean, the, 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 what you need are, you need organizations that support multi-generational families. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is lore that is passed down. David Vassilow, who was the, the, the last head clown of Ringling Brothers Barn Bailey, is like a fourth or fifth generation clown. And his father had passed down, you know, you become a different kind of clown sort of the older you get. You end up as the august clown, you know, and you go kind of through the white face phase and you become the august clown. And, you know, this is lore that really needs to be passed down. And so it's, I, I don't think it's as easy as giving someone a Twinkie recipe. Joshua Cohen, Dispatches from a Land of Distraction. The name of the book was Attention. I did promise we'd get to the ethereal but we spent so much time on the tangible that it was fascinating joshua thanks for coming in oh thank you for having me and now the spiel i want to stay on the topic of guns i want to keep talking about guns but the president really doesn't want me to On a plane ride back from Dayton and El Paso, when he healed the local populace by yelling at their elected officials, Donald Trump floated the idea of commuting the sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, which is rich irony because, if you recall, it was Trump who sanctioned Blagojevich in the first place. And Governor, I have great respect for you. I have great respect for your tenacity, for the fact that you just don't give up. But Rod... You're fired. Well, Blagojevich did fail to do the right research on Harry Potter. You know, I talked about uh, the different uh, houses, and I was the one who said houses and classes interchangeably because I was trying to be more explicit so people can get a concept of it. But it's Slithering, and it's Hufflepuff, and it's uh, Ravencloth, and it's... He, by the way, got one of those three houses right. It is not Ravencloth. It is not slithering. I don't know. Maybe that's the Chicago Serbian muggle accent. But Blagojevich was guilty of essentially selling a Senate seat, Barack Obama's former seat. He was prosecuted by James Comey, who headed the FBI at the time. And Blagojevich has since said very nice things about Trump. He was quite deferential after being humiliated and fired on TV. Add that all up. And it means Trump is desperate to commute this guy's sentence. Maggie Haberman was talking to CNN about possible presidential motivation. John, the president likes to change the subject uh, if he can when his news coverage is bad. And his news coverage was something that he was, uh, you know, fuming about all day yesterday. So I don't think it's a surprise that he tried doing something to change a headline. This seems like a done deal. And for Trump, a redeal, which is what he wants to do. A new, uh, a new hand to play after this latest spate of shootings doesn't work for him. Trump's distraction tactics are well known and they do seem to work. It is a shoot the moon strategy. What's that game? Hearts? Spades? So you don't want to have too many spades unless you get all the spades. And that's essentially what's tr- what Trump is trying to do. I mean, regular politicians, you make one dumb statement, it's a dumb statement. Two of them are gaffes or lies. Three, and you are gaff prone or perhaps deeply dishonest. And four or five, and you're toast. But what if it's not four or five? What if it's 400 or 500 or four or five in any afternoon? I mean, don't worry. 
I am keeping a list of the crazy lies and crazy statements to refer back to. It turns out the bust of MLK wasn't moved. It turns out windmills don't cause cancer. It turns out U.S. Steel is not building six new steel mills. It turns out there's not a line around the block for your rally. It turns out the murder rate isn't the highest it's been in 47 years. It turns out no one was bussed in from Massachusetts to vote in New Hampshire. It turns out Uranium One was not a thing. It turns out he does have a racist bone in his body. It turns out you don't need ID to buy a box of cereal. It turns out he did know Steve Bannon. It turns out he did know David Duke. It turns out Paul Manafort ran the campaign for more than a very short period of time. It turns out everyone knew reforming healthcare wouldn't be easy. It turns out you didn't come up with something wonderful. It turns out no one rammed the ramparts. And it turns out, what the hell was that weird thing about eating paper so you wouldn't have to archive it? Anyway, those just scrolling past, it's like one of those time life recordings where you get 12 volumes of greatest hits and the hits just keep on coming and operators are standing by. Trump banks on us not knowing or remembering or being able to keep it straight. What with us being humans with things to do besides pay attention to him. I bet he thinks that he could sell to his audience. Remember, I am commuting the sentence of this former corrupt politician who's been in jail for a while for selling political services because I promised so many times over and over at my rallies. You remember the promise. Maintain the swamp. How often did we say that? Maintain the swamp. I always wondered if Trump's distraction techniques were driven by distraction or an outgrowth of a carefully coordinated campaign. Some clearly are just flubs. Then he has to double or triple down. They work two jobs and sometimes three jobs. They sacrifice every day for the furniture and future of their children. Right. He didn't mean that. There's no reason for that. But according to Maggie Haberman, again, writing in The Times, quote, Aides have hoped to keep Mr. Trump from announcing such a move, the Blagojevich commutation, for as long as possible, which leads me to believe he's been holding on to it for a while, people briefed on the discussion said. Instead, the president, who often tries to shift the focus of the news media when he does not like its coverage of him, decided to share the possibilities with reporters covering his trip days after two mass shootings over the weekend. So he does have a list of these in his breast pocket, ready to go. I would love to see the list. I would love to know what other distraction techniques are on there. Might he threaten to arrest Tom Arnold? Might he try to pick a fight with an American ninja warrior? Stolen valor. Might, might he go after the Chinese for dog meat festivals? Maybe he'll swoop in and offer to broker a deal between India and Pakistan over Kashmir. Maybe he'll posthumously pardon James Brown. Maybe he'll have a commission to find out who's at fault for all those shark attacks. Maybe he'll pick a fight with this cartoon bear. My hand is clean. Oh yeah, I'm Charmin clean. Maybe he will make London knife crimes a top U.S. priority. Maybe he'll fire a dog just to prove it can happen. I do not know which ones that are on that list. I have to say, I do kind of support him on that Charmin bear one. It's disgusting. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It is. I don't like thinking about the bears, Heine. But who are we kidding? Donald Trump is not composing the list himself. He's simply watching Fox News and then writing down whatever Rupert Murdoch's minions say. And what I'd really love to know at the end of all of this is how he spells Blagojevich. And that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Pierre Bien-Aimé and Daniel Schrader. Pierre is coming with me to Iowa. Daniel will have to merely hear tell 
of this year's butter sculpture theme, Sesame Street. The gist, Trump will not be pardoning any Montanas who slam young punks to the ground, but if they are elected to statewide office, he will praise them at a rally. Umpru depru dupru, and thanks for listening. And my hand is clean.